My name is Sakusa Rokovasa Vakandewa Tambua, Jr. I go uh, by Zach, and I'm originally from the Fiji Islands. My childhood was different from what a typical kid would go through. There were no toys, uh, no video games. We'll play with sticks and uh, jack stones. Playing rugby, of course, there was no rugby ball. We'd use a Coca-Cola bottle. Sometimes it hit you in the face, and, but we'll just carry on. The day when I received my shoebox, my mom was volunteering to distribute the shoeboxes. She made me the last kid to receive a shoebox. So she said, you know, if we run out, sorry. <laughs> but thank God, I got my shoebox. I opened it. I don't know how to say it. I, I, there was no word for me to say because I, I don't have this. Uh, I don't have these toys. I don't have these school supplies that was coming out from the boxes. And in this shoebox was a yellow yo-yo. Jaw-dropping moment, of course. No more playing with rocks and sticks. I have a yo-yo and those cars. And one of the scripture that came to my mind is, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were all undeserving of the grace of God, but someone was full of grace, spend their resources, their money, their time. Somebody thought of me. Well, good morning, Fellowship family, and welcome. This morning, I'm up here with Gil Panera to talk about Operation Christmas Child. But before we do, I want to take a moment to acknowledge Gil's years of servant leadership and his dedication to this ministry. There are so many people who are involved with Operation Christmas Child of Fellowship, but behind everything, behind everyone, Gil has, has been there for years, and we just want to pause, and would you help me thank him for his leadership here? Yeah. Thank you. Gil, how many years has it been? Uh, pushing 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Well, uh, Gil, we're, uh, we're so excited to have this opportunity, but uh, rather than just go into autopilot mode and say it's that time of the year, uh, round them up. Everybody knows what to do. We want to remain intentional about this ministry. So would you remind us or tell us anew what kind of impact Operation Christmas Child is having globally on the you, world? You bet. You know, coming out of COVID, we had a fantastic year last year. 104 countries received shoeboxes across the world. We saw 8 million children hear the gospel message of Jesus about his life, his death, and his resurrection. Four million, over four million entered, enrolled in a discipleship program that lasted 12 weeks that they would learn more about Jesus. And then out of that, 2.3 million kids accepted Christ as their savior. And, isn't that special? Yeah. It was, the life change of these kids was so much that it influenced their parents and relatives to the point of almost 10,000 relatives and family also received Jesus as their personal savior. And that added a couple of hundred uh, church plants. So when you pack a shoebox, and if you're excited about evangelism, discipleship, and church planning, not only do you make a, a kid happy, but you help extend and invest in the kingdom of God. Wow, Gil, that's incredible. Hey, one thing that Megan and I appreciate as parents of young children is the opportunity that Operation Christmas Child gives us to engage our children in discussions and in prayer for God's heart for the nations. And so this is an easy opportunity to engage your children. And, and so my wife in particular has really owned this 
with our children and we pray over the boxes, pray over the recipients, and really just pray that God would uh, engage them and draw them closer to his heart. Now, I have to admit, though, I've not always treated it as the opportunity that I just described. Oftentimes, I've treated it as a checklist. And in one particular year, not that long ago, uh, I had one job, and that was to drop the boxes off. And seven months later, my wife discovered them underneath our, uh, our, the backseat of my, my car. So I'm just saying, don't be like that. Don't be like me. Uh, really use this opportunity, especially if you have children, to engage your children uh, and plant seeds of the gospel in their hearts through this discussion, especially at a time of the year when it can be very me-centered and self-focused. This is an opportunity to help point them outside of, of themselves. And so, um, again, one more time, would you thank Gil for his leadership in this ministry? Yeah. One last thing. Where do we pick up and drop off, and when do we do that? Okay, good. We'll be out here the next uh, five Sundays. So you can pick up your shoeboxes, bring them back. The last day you can bring them back, though, is November 20th, okay? Because on the following Monday, we send them to Dallas, and they go from there all over the world. So not July. Not July. Okay. No. All right. Noted. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Gil. Appreciate you, man. You. Yeah. Hey, married couples, I want you to save the date for Sunday, November 13th from 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. We are hosting on this campus, Fellowship Rogers, a marriage enrichment night. And so this night, we'll have uh, author and speaker, uh, Dr. Gary Oliver is our main speaker. We'll have some encouraging testimonies. And in general, it's just going to be an uplifting event and night and I hope that, uh, that you all will make your way there. You can, uh, you can register online. We'll have a sign-up sheet in the middle of the foyer at the booth where you just put your name down, and we're going to send you a registration uh, link for that. It's going to be $10 uh, per, fam per couple, and that includes child care. And so, again, Sunday, November 13th, mark your calendars uh, for that marriage enrichment night. Well, again, welcome. Welcome. And if you're new I just want to say a special welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here and worshiping with us this morning. Uh, at this time, I'd like to ask you to stand. Uh, and uh, we are going to continue to worship this morning in spirit and in truth as I declare this call to worship from 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, verses 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. Let's celebrate his love together. Let's accept the invitation to come to him.
for the wonders of his Sing love. praise God. Praise his name. May he be magnified. We believe that he is worthy of all glory and honor and praise in this place. Were creation suddenly articulate with a thousand tongues to lift one then from north to south and east to us we'll sing christ be magnified were the whole earth echoing his eminence his
continue to worship, we have the opportunity this morning to spend some time reflecting on God's mercy, his compassion towards us. So as we do, would you acknowledge your dependence on him and let's sing together. Lord, I need you. 
I was sitting in my car um, and my foot is hurting really bad. I just remember holding my steering wheel and just laying on it. And I hadn't started crying yet because I was just so confused. I was like, is this, is this real? It's my sophomore year at Virginia Tech and I drove four hours to see my girlfriend who went to a different college. We would try to see each other once a month. That was the goal. And so she would drive to Virginia Tech, I'd drive to her school. So I get there at night, she walked up and she just looked me in the eye and just said, hey, I didn't want, I did not want to tell you this over the phone. I wanted it to be face to face. I know you drove four hours, but I just need to tell you that this relationship's over and I can't be in the relationship anymore. The guy I thought you were going to become, you just have not become that. And I am just a worse version of myself for being in a relationship with you. When she said, I'm a worse version of myself for being in a relationship with you for two years, I was not expecting that at all. And then it gets worse. 
That was already bad, but my reaction, I was very angry, but I wasn't saying anything. And I walked away and in my anger, I did something really stupid. I kicked an air conditioning unit that was in the wall. I just kicked it and walked away. And as I was walking out the door to go to my car, I heard the whole air conditioning unit fall on the ground. I just, I felt very defeated. And I was just like, I'm just driving back. I don't know what, I'll work this out later. We'll work this out later is what I thought. And that is the scene of really the start of a complete transformation in my life. When I started driving, I was, I remember being just haunted because when you drive, it's just like, you're just left to daydream. I was driving for four hours and I was trying to answer the question, is it her or is it me? That was it. And my daydream while driving was memories of my life. I mean, I just went back and just thought, all right, who is Simon Foster? I found a very selfish person in all of that. A person that just thought about what I wanted all the time. There was a wake of destruction in so many relationships that are around me because I was just constantly wanting to do what I wanted to do and never thinking about other people. I just remember just not knowing what to do and I just prayed. I had never actually talked to God in a genuine way, like it was never normal. And, and I remember saying something like this, God, if you're out there and you care about me, then we please show up and do something right now. Um, I woke up the next morning, went to class, get back to my dorm room. There is a tangible answer from God, and it was in the form of a note card. And it said on it, Bible study, Lee Hall dorm, and it had it said Campus Crusade for Christ, and then it had the name of a Bible study leader. And so I just showed up. I just was sitting there and I was taking it all in, and I just realized, I was like, man, there's a bunch of people my age around me right now in this small group that are dealing with the same stuff I'm dealing with. I'm not alone. I was about to leave and the staff guy, Jeff, he, he had stuck the note and he just said, hey, thanks for coming. I'm the one that stuck the note under your door. Um, it, how are you doing? You doing all right? And I just kind of broke down and just shared my story. And uh, he, he said, hey, he just looked me in the eye and said, what you're wanting to fix, you can't fix it. The only hope you have is to believe in Jesus Christ and give God your life. That's it. And I just remember as he was sharing, I was just like, he's right. I can't fix it. I remember stopping him there right away and just said, I just had four hours in my car and uh, I've thought about all the junk in my life and I know I'm messed up. And so when you say that, it makes a lot of sense to me right now. I don't know what this path looks like, but I just want you to know, I believe. But if you want to help me, walk me through that, that'd be great. And uh, he started that process. And that path that I was on completely shifted and put me on a new path. And I realized when I believed the gospel and my perspective was changed, I'm accepted by God and he's going to give me a new path. And because I'm accepted by God, like I want to do good things. Like, I don't want to sin. Uh, I don't want to be selfish. Um, but now, like, I actually do, and it's only by the grace of God, like, I actually do want to be people's cheerleaders. Like, I want to just, I want to see them do incredible things. And when they're doing incredible things, like, I feel like that's a win. Believing the gospel has given me a different way to see who I married and the fact that I get to be a father, being a friend, the career, 
that I'm in, it's all seen through a different lens than what I used to have. Like, I want to pray. I want to open my Bible. Like, I want to do these things because of how much God has forgiven me. Because, yeah, like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't be a pastor. Um, it's only by the grace of God that I can. I am forever thankful for a girl breaking up with me and telling me that I'm a worse version of myself and for God to actually answer my prayer, needing help and begging for help, and he used people to guide me down a new path. Isn't that an incredible story? So how does, how does that happen? How does someone like our own Simon Foster go from being a person whose friendship with you actually makes you a worse version of yourself to being a pastor whose actual job it is to help you become everything that God wants you to be? How is that kind of transformation even possible? Well, I think the only way that happens, the only way is through the changing power, the transformational power of Jesus Christ, the, the crucified Savior, and the resurrected King. You know, there's a promise in the scriptures for those who believe in Jesus, for those who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. It is a promise of renewal. It is a promise of becoming a different person. The scriptures call that person a new creation. There's hope of genuine life change, of, of genuine transformation. Because of the power of Christ, we can actually experience radical life change. We can find freedom from the power of sin and become more like Christ. The theological term for this transformation is sanctification. Sanctification describes an ongoing work where Jesus makes us more like him and more free from sin in our daily life. Sanctification teaches us that we don't always have to be the person that we once were. Sanctification promises that in Jesus, there is hope of becoming a new you. No matter how old you are, no longer how long you've been in the faith or a part of the church, in Jesus, there's hope of becoming a new you. Is that a good thing to hear this morning? I guarantee you it is. So if you're tired of battling with the same temptations and sins and ungodly habits week after week and month after month and year after year, if you've grown weary of carrying this burden of guilt and shame that comes with not living up to God's holy standards, if you ever hope and pray that God will free you from entanglements and struggles and sins that weigh you down, we have hope in Jesus. If there's still breath in your lungs, then he's not done with you yet. He desires to sanctify you through and through. In Jesus, there's hope of becoming a new you. And it only happens by the power of the Holy Spirit genuine life change, increasing godliness, becoming a new person, becoming a new creation is not by our committing to try harder, but it's actually by our surrendering and letting him do the work. 
that there's hope that you can put your old life, your old habits, your old ways behind you and walk in newness of life. So if you're here today and you're in need of a character makeover, then you're in the right place. If you don't have this godliness thing perfected, then I'm glad you're here because today's passage is going to actually address that topic of sanctification, this ongoing daily transformation. So open your Bibles this morning to the New Testament book of Ephesians. We'll find ourselves in Ephesians chapter four today. We're in week eight of a 12-week verse-by-verse study of this New Testament letter. And we've actually turned the corner from doctrine to duty, from creed to conduct as we've entered into the second half of our study. The last three chapters of Ephesians are very practical in nature. That'll be the case again today. And we're actually gonna finish chapter four today. And as we pointed out last week in the letter, the heat is being turned up. In these final passages, the practical part of the book is emerging and we're moving into life application. And that's gonna happen today. We're gonna be confronted with the scriptures not about doctrine, but how we live each day. And it's my hope and prayer as we talk about holiness and godliness that by the end of the service, each of us will be on our knees in repentance and confession and commitment to being more like him. So with that sobering thought in mind, maybe we should begin with prayer. Would you pray with me? Well, Father God, if you have anything to say to us today, I pray that you would speak clearly, even loudly, through your word and by your spirit. Lord, teach us, convict us, guide us in the path you want us to go so that we can bring glory and honor to your name. Amen. Let's take a look at the passage. We'll begin Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul is continuing his challenge that he began in verse 1 of living lives worthy of our calling. He says this, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Paul insisted that the believers at Ephesus would not live ungodly lives that reflected the pagan culture around them. He called for them to make a break from their former way of life, from their former standards of right and wrong. He said, if you know the Lord, then don't live a life separated from him and his truth. If you've been given a second chance at life through Christ, then don't continue to live in your old ways. I want you to notice three things in the description of this godless lifestyle. It's a a downward spiral of depravity, and it began with their thinking. He described it as a darkness of mind. Their thinking was futile. It was a dead-end road. They were darkened in their understanding. They were void of God's truth and God's presence. And this darkened thinking led to a hardness of heart where they refused to allow any outside authority to speak a standard into their lives. 
Therefore, they lived in ignorance of God's will. They rejected his counsel, which resulted in a reckless lifestyle. They became controlled by their desires and their urges. They had lost all sensitivity to any moral standard. They indulged in every form of impurity. When it came to living, they were all gas and they were no breaks. They lived a licentious lifestyle, empowered by sensuality and greed, always hungering for pleasure and sin, but never being satisfied. Let me stop right here. Do you know someone who this describes the way they're living right now? Darkened in their thinking, hardened of heart, given over to a reckless lifestyle. Maybe that describes you. You've shown up here because you keep searching for answers, but finding yourselves further away from the truth. Do you know someone who's searching for peace and contentment in life, yet they end up at a dead-end street? Hey, would you pause right now, wherever you're at, and just bow with me for a quick prayer, just from your heart to the Lord. And I want you to lift that person who came to your mind. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a neighbor or a friend. Lift them up to the Lord and pray for the Lord to break through that darkness, through that hardness, and draw them unto himself. Say a prayer for them real quick. Amen. What Paul's describing here, the life of the Ephesians before Christ, darkened, hardened, reckless. But after coming to faith, Paul insisted that they no longer live this way. Because they believed in the Savior, Paul asked them to surrender to him as Lord and follow his purposes and his plans for their life. He continued the thought in verse 20. He said, that, however, is not the way of life you learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. In contrast to the darkened, hardened, reckless lifestyle of the godless world around them, Paul charged the church at Ephesus to live differently. He called them to a, a higher and a holy standard. Paul challenged them, don't live in darkness when you've been brought into the light. Don't live in ignorance when you've been shown the truth. Don't indulge in impurity when you've been made righteous in Christ. Now, Paul's not calling them to a standard that they had never heard of. These are not new commands when he wrote them to the Ephesians. Look at verses 21 and 22. Paul reminds them that they had learned these things. They had, been, uh, they had heard these things. They had been taught these things. That they're to leave the old life behind and pursue Christ. He had taught them that their new identity in the Lord came with a, a new truth. He was calling them to live up to what they had previously heard and received. It was time to put an end to the downward spiral of living guided by deceitful desires. It was time to experience renewal, a renewed mind, a new way of living that was in line, not with the world around them, but with the will of God. And then he gives them an action step. Remember, we're in the practical part of Ephesians. There's an action step found in verses 22 to 24. He said, you were taught with regard to your former way of life 
to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new, new in the attitude of your minds. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. A simple summary of this passage would be put off your old self and put on the new. Leave your godless lifestyle behind and pursue a new life, a better life in Christ. Put off the old, put on the new. Get rid of the corrupted self and put on the holiness of God. You see, when we become followers of Jesus, there's this continual thing in our life, this action of rejecting the former ways, the former self. And there's a continual putting on or assuming the new self. We're called to daily experience renewal and transformation, to become a new you. And look at the last line. You were created in Christ Jesus to be like who? God. Is that intimidating or what? Created in Christ Jesus to be like God. And true righteousness and holiness. We're not just striving to eradicate the old self. We're striving to become like Christ. Now, several Bible commentators have noted that the language in this illustration of putting off the old and putting on the new is similar. It's comparable to a wardrobe change. Paul is comparing here our embracing our new identity to a change in our clothing. A new you warrants a wardrobe update. Put off the old garment, that filthy rag that represents your old lifestyle, and put on the new garment, the robe of righteousness, if you will, a new version of you created to be like Christ, like a prisoner who leaves the orange jumpsuit at the prison when he has finished serving his time. We leave the old rags that represent our old character behind and put on the new self. When's the last time you updated your wardrobe? I'm not speaking metaphorically. I'm speaking specifically. Some of you are rocking 1991. Still to this day, it's been a long time since you've gone in your closet and threw out some of your old threads and updated with some new styles. Have you ever had someone suggest a wardrobe edit to you? Maybe your spouse? If you're a parent, have your kids ever looked at you when you came out and said, what are you wearing? Maybe your grandkids, maybe a close trusted friend. You know, I asked my kids, I sent a group text last week in our family text, which is not suitable for public. And I just said, hey, question. Is there anything in dad's wardrobe that you think I ought to throw out? And there was consensus. Both verbally and in the group text, they said, please throw away the Colorado sweatshirt. <laughs> now, I... I have a favorite sweatshirt, and as I'm looking at it, I can even see coffee stains on it. I have a, a favorite sweatshirt. Amy said it's so ragged that it looks now like a sweater because it's got those little fabric beads on it. It needs to be shaved. Um, I have a favorite sweatshirt. And they said, Dad, you need to throw that. Now, what do y'all think? Throw away or keep? 
thank you. Thank you for the guy still wearing 1991 over there. I bought this sweatshirt 12 years ago for $5. It was on sale at a gift shop in Winter Park, Colorado. Let me tell you why I bought it. I bought it because it's ugly. Because how many of you dads have your daughters steal your sweatshirts? Anybody? Yeah. And I thought, that's a sweatshirt that Grace will not steal from me. And I actually bought it, and she's never taken it. Now, as I went into the closet to grab the sweatshirt for the picture, right next to it was a brand new sweatshirt that I bought last year from Harbor Decca. And I've never put it on. I've never worn it. Right next to it is the new sweatshirt, and from what I've told, is quite trendy. And I always go in there and grab Old Faithful. There's just something about it that makes me feel comfortable. I just wonder if Paul's not onto something here. That we keep running back to the old garment, to the old lifestyle, to the old habits, to the old you. And so he gave us something we could grasp to put off the old filthy rag and put on the new wardrobe. In Jesus, there is hope of becoming a new you. There's hope for renewal, of putting the old life behind us. But know this, becoming a new you actually requires canceling your old self. If you want to experience new life in Christ, then you actually have to break up with the old you, you have to leave your old ways behind. You have to cancel the old self. Now, this isn't just a challenge to suppress negative or simple behaviors or to overmanage your morality. This is a challenge to true renewal. It's about true lifestyle. It's about becoming a person that your old friends would not even recognize. And just know this, you can't do it on your own. Today's service is not a call for you to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Today's sermon is not a challenge for you to go out there and try harder. It's actually a challenge to repent and surrender and say, Lord, I can't do this. Would you make me a new creation? And Paul's not insisting on your holiness so that you can earn God's favor or merit right standing before him. He's simply calling you to live up to your true identity. Because do you know what the scriptures say about you? That if you are in Christ, you've turned from your sin, you've believed in the Savior, you are the righteousness of God. Your sin credited to him on the cross, his righteousness credited fully to your account. You're forgiven. You're redeemed. You were called out of darkness and into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. So therefore, reflect who you truly are. Reflect Jesus Christ and the power and the work of his Holy Spirit in your life and be remade each day into the image of your creator. But many believers don't do that. They live a double life. They put on the new self in part. They eagerly desire the love and the forgiveness and the grace of God. They joyfully hope in his promise of heaven but they want to hold on to part of their old way of living. 
They embrace his forgiveness, but they won't let go of their drunkenness. They believe in God's faithfulness, but they want to cheat on their spouse. They want God to hear and answer their prayers, but they also want to curse out the referees at their kids' games on the weekend. And Ephesians 4 is emphatic. Put off the old. There's no room for riding the fence. You don't have it both ways. You can't live like the devil on Saturday night and come in and sing like an angel on Sunday morning. And this isn't a simple one-time decision. Putting off the old and putting on the new is an ongoing, progressive work. And be warned, the old self will crawl back into your life right out of the grave. And just when you thought you've, you've put it away, you look up and that old sweatshirt's back in your closet, beckoning for a Sunday afternoon watching the Cowboys loose. <laughs> it's not as simple as saying, Lord, I'll do better. It's every day saying, Lord, I can't do it. And I need you to work in my life. So let me pause. As you're hearing the scriptures, can you think of one or two areas in your life that the Lord's saying, he's talking about this for you? It's time to quit making excuses. It's time to quit hiding. You need to repent and ask the Lord to renew you in this area. Can you think of an area? I want you to hold on to that because at the end of the service, we're going to take communion together and I'm going to give you a time of consecration and confession where we take those things to the Lord. Now, in the remaining verses of our passage today, verses 25 to 32, Paul is going to get really practical and he's actually going to give us a workshop on putting off and and putting on. And in, in these five examples he's going to give us, and each one of them, he's going to tell us something to put off. He's going to tell us something to put on. And then he's going to give us some reasoning for that. Let's jump in. We're going to move really fast. Look at verse 25, the first example. He says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. What does he call for us to put off? Speaking falsely, dishonesty, deceit. What does he call for us to put on? Well, speaking truthfully, having integrity, being an honest person. And, and what's the reasoning he gives? Well, it preserves the unity of the body. Nothing undermines a relational community like a church more than distrust and lies. So are you an honest person? Do you ever stretch the truth? Do you ever intentionally exaggerate to make yourself look better? Hide essential facts to manipulate the truth? Do you ever lie to get what you want? Example one, put off falsehood. Put on speaking truthfully. Look at example two, verses 26 and 27. And in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. What are we to put off here? Well, it's sin that results from anger. Do not let anger trigger you to behave inappropriately or to, to get out of bounds. What are we to put on? 
resolving conflict in a timely manner. Don't let the sun go down. The reasoning here is not to let the devil, the enemy of our souls, take ownership of part of our heart. Don't let the devil take a small offense and then set up camp in your heart. Note that the passage does not say not to get angry. It doesn't say that anger is wrong. It says not to let anger lead you to sin. So it's talking here about proper anger management. So when you get angry, do you fly off the handle? Lose your temper with your spouse or your roommates, your coworkers or your children? Say things you regret? Throw a temper tantrum like a child? Do you hold a grudge? Seek revenge? Paul says that sin habits fueled by anger are a part of the old life. As a follower of Jesus, we need to let our anger be more like a thermometer than a thermostat. We need to let it inform us, not control us. Verse 28 brings us to workshop item three. It reads, anyone who is stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. What are we to put off? Theft. Stop stealing. What are we to put on? A strong work ethic, earning our own keep. A follower of Jesus embraces responsibility. A follower of Christ works hard so that they can contribute, so that they can make a difference in others' life, so that they can be generous. Have you ever been tempted to steal? Maybe your waiter forgot to put something on your ticket or you forgot to scan the case of Cokes at the bottom of your shopping cart and did you just keep it? Maybe you forgot to pay your taxes and you thought, I'll just let it ride until I get a letter about that. One spring break, Amy and I took the kids to the White River we had our Suburban full of our stuff and our children. We were pulling a 21-foot trout boat. We pulled into a rural gas station and I filled the Suburban up and I filled both gas tanks up in the boat. Amy took the kids in for a potty break. She came back out. We kept going. About 15 miles down the road, I said, how about that was expensive, you know, filling up a Suburban and two boat gas tanks. She goes, yeah, how much was it? I said, I did not go in the gas station. And by the way, this is an old story. They didn't have the scanners at this rural gas station. I did not go in the gas station. I assumed you did. She goes, I didn't. So I called, I Googled rural gas station. And I called them. And they're like, yeah, we've called the police. <laughs> I was like, can you call them back? I said, we will come back and pay. She actually let me come back two days from then on her way back through and pay. Oh, man. You ever borrowed something and not returned it? You know what we call that? Theft. What about stealing from your employer? Some of you work at home. Are you mowing the lawn with your earbuds in, jiggling your mouse to let them know I'm still here every once in a while? A lot of laughter there. <laughs> you ever expense something that's not work-related? You ever steal from God? You know, the scriptures are really clear that everything we have is owned by the Lord. He's blessed us to be a blessing. And when we receive our income, our harvest, monthly, bi-monthly, weekly, we're to offer a portion back to him. The scriptures call it a tithe. You ever hold that back for yourself? He says, put off theft, put on working hard and making a contribution. Let's look at the fourth example. This one gets 
personal. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. Put off, speaking in an unwholesome manner. Put on, building others up, being beneficial with our words. Why? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit who is in you. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Our words are so powerful. I bet each of us carries some words that someone said to us at some point in our life that was so hurtful, you just can't let go of it. Are your words pure or are you foul-mouthed? Are you inappropriate with your words, prone to gossip, use sarcasm, demean others, make racial slurs, talk bad behind others' backs? Have you ever taken a joke too far? You got the laugh, but then you lived with regret. I know that I've surely struggled with this one. Let's move on. It's getting convicting. The last example is found in verses 31 and 32. It says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. And be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We need to put off rage, malice, brawling, bitterness, and put on compassion, forgiveness, kindness. Why do we show kindness and compassion and forgiveness? Because that's what Christ showed us, who were once his enemies. So that's how we respond to those who've harmed us and offended us and angered us and frustrated us and hurt us, not with slander or anger or rage, but kindness and forgiveness. Well, fellowship, maybe it's time for a new wardrobe. And as we've studied God's word this morning, I've thrown a lot of possibilities at you where there could be conviction. So let's respond with repentance. Where's the Lord leading you to be a new you? If there is still breath in your lungs, Jesus is not done with you yet. And he wants to sanctify you through and through. Would you pray with me? And I want you to prepare your hearts for communion this morning. It will come double cupped. The juice and the bread are in one entity. I want you to go where you go, where you can be alone with the Lord in your thoughts and in your heart. And open yourself up to him and ask him, Lord, how would you want me to respond today? Where there's conviction, repent. Where there's a need, commit. And the power of the Spirit to walk in newness of life. Spend some time with him. Prepare your heart. Lord, we thank you that when we were far from you, you ran to us. When we were your enemies, you showed us kindness and compassion and forgave us. And Lord, we don't want to be the same people we were before you grabbed a hold of our heart. And we don't want to let the old self creep back in. 
So Lord, I pray that you would convict us and then empower us to be new people, new creations in you. And Lord, as we receive the bread and the cup, we're reminded of what great a cost our sanctification comes. It's in Jesus' name. As the elements are passed, let's take this opportunity to reflect on the cross of Christ and his sacrifice for us.
His body, broken for you. Take and eat. His blood, the blood of the new covenant, given for new life. Take and drink. Well, Lord, may we live lives worthy of the calling you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're here today and you need prayer, we've got help for you in the prayer room. To your right, to my left. Fellowship, we'll see you next week.